0: Okay, welcome to the latest uh, Ravelin podcast. It's been a while since we've recorded one, actually, so uh, this is a bit of a, a treat. Uh, and today I'm joined by uh, two of my esteemed colleagues at Ravelin. Um, I'm joined by uh, Katrina Scott. Katrina is the product manager for uh, a new product of ours called Ravelin Protect, which is uh, our product focus at ATO. Uh, and John was the lead engineer on the same product, so I'm hoping between the, uh, the two of you guys we can get some expert comments and some advice for our listeners about what to do around ATO, what best practice are, what we're doing, and, uh, you know, if they come away with some uh, some tips for defeating this new wave of bad guys uh, that are out there. Um, I'll start with where sort of ATO, or I guess where people learn how to do ATO. Um, an interesting thing I think about it is that a lot of the tactics that they're using are kind of out there, but they just need to know where to look. Uh, they tend to be in the dark web. Uh, and I know, Katrina, you've put on your Wellington boots and stepped into the murky waters of the... Uh, The dark web. So, what have you, what have you been able, what can we learn, what can our listeners learn from from going there?
1: So, I think uh, there's a lot of knowledge sharing basically that goes on on the dark web. So, fraudsters also like to share, I guess, Uh, and there tends to be quite a lot around, specifically around kind of things that you can get fraud trends and methodologies out of, basically. So, they'll share advice about what kind of device to use, uh, how to clean the device. Uh, They also share information about spoofing location, that kind of thing, and also how to browse merchant sites to avoid detection. Uh, And basically, from from the information they're sharing, you can kind of get a pretty clear idea of the kinds of of tactics that they're using, essentially, to to commit fraud. And that's true for more traditional fraud, like payment fraud, and also for account takeover. So there's also a lot of information about how, how best to commit account takeover And that's that information is shared pretty widely, Um, and there's actually a lot of kind of like help helpful guides on on how to do it that fraudsters share amongst themselves, um, which is alarming and also a little bit hilarious. Uh, (laughs) They'll have these complicated documents about how to do these things. Um, So that those are like the main things that that we've seen. I think, John, is there anything you want to? Yeah. Well, for
2: account takeovers specifically, there's. a lot of tooling out there that, that they, you can download. You can download these, these sort of apps that allow you know, anyone you know, in their basement to just sort of run attacks against companies. And in, in particular, there's one called Century MBA, and you can people share different configurations for that. So you could go onto the dark web and search your business and find someone has made a configuration specifically for your business that anyone can download, and it'll target your login endpoint and allow, wow. allow anyone to just go in and, and attack it. Um, it takes basically no technical skill um, beyond being able to you know, do the sort of basic computery things that many of us can do these days. So, um,
0: But yeah. it, if you're like a legit business, like a, a, an honest uh, soldier out there the war against fraud, like most of our listeners are, is that, I mean, is there, are the precautions you should take in the dark web um, uh, to make sure that you are actually not, either uh, on behalf of yourself or on behalf of your company, actually committing contributing to the, to the uh, uh,
1: crime that's out there. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so there's, you have to have a really clear process for how you're going to go about accessing the dark web and also how you're going to go about acting on or not acting on the dark web. Um, so you need to have, for that, it's really important to involve a legal team uh, who reviews that and also whoever's in charge of kind of like the security aspect, like information security at your company. And it's critical that you have a really clear process in place to to handle that. And it's things like, you know, like having a burner laptop, not using office Wi-Fi for it and having a very clear understanding of what you can and cannot do legally on the dark web as, as a legitimate person. And it's also even things like having false personas and tracking them and having an audit log of anything and everything that you monitor. Um, as well as that you access whilst you're on it, it's it's important that you cover those aspects of it for sure.
0: So you reckon there are bad guys out there making sure you're not a narc if you, you know. Give them- <laughs> yeah. So
2: I mean, the whole point of going onto the dark web, right, is to is to kind of get in the minds of these people and see what they're doing. And um, you know, you can also get lists of rich credentials and you can actually get actionable stuff from the dark web. Um, but you do have to be careful because you know. You don't want to start being the one that's actually now part of this whole game. <laughs> yeah. you, you can pay for some of this stuff, and you know that's pretty legally dubious. Um, yeah. It's not something you really should be doing. Uh, a lot of the other other ways that Dark Web works is on um, uh, reputation. So often yeah. you yeah. know, you have to give them something for them to trust you, and all this give and take, and, and all of that is extremely legally dubious. So you can kind of only go so deep and still be in safe water, um, so
0: right. to speak.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you have to have a really clear understanding of, of where you stand on that front before you embark on anything like that. Uh, but I think
0: one of the things that I that, uh, say, no, we, we've pulled down, but that hackers pull down, is this the whole existence of these breach credentials on the dark web. That's the, I guess that's for many attempts, that's the actual means to do it, right? These are the passwords and the usernames uh, that have been found in, in various uh, well, data breaches over the last few years. Um, how easy is that to access, and how easy is it for a, sort of a legitimate business to access to check if their users are on it? Is that a practical thing to do? And yeah. I, I think the first thing to note with any of this
2: stuff is you're never going to get 100% of it. Right. Um, there's no product that will exist that says, you know, we have every breach credential there is out there, because some of them are, you know, these hackers will get them and they'll, they'll sell them to very specific people for maybe large amounts of money because they're you know, better leads than others. But um, there is a lot of low-hanging fruit out there, and some you can just get, you know, you don't need to pay any money, you don't need any reputation, you can just download them. Um, Often you hear about these things, like um, uh, last Christmas, I think there was the the Collection 1 or Collection collection 1 through 5 or something like this. Often when those get bubbled up to the mainstream media, that's really, you know, a collection of bridge credentials that have been maybe around for a little while that have been put all together and suddenly they're accessible without having to either pay or or go through some sort of reputational process on some forum. So they become just easier to get. And so those are definitely something that that are are feasible to get. Um, Parsing them is a bigger problem because hackers don't exactly follow a protocol or a specific format. Yeah, it'd be Uh, great if they standardized that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) you spend quite a large amount of time going through all these ridiculous file formats that these
1: hackers come up with. And with that, you can actually, there there are, you can access these lists on the surface web, on the normal internet. There's a lot, there's been, I think, a significant increase in in the number of cracking forums that are just on the internet that you can access. And it's a similar kind of idea in that you tend to have to have a reputation, um, but a lot of them you can actually just download lists and they'll compile these lists and you can download them for free. Um, And that's just on the surface web rather than the dark web.
0: And in your view, is that still the most common, is the credential stuffing still the most common form of ATO as opposed to sort of, I guess, you know, focused attacks on certain individuals or so just with, throwing everything against the wall yeah. to see
1: what... I mean, with that, I think it will really depend on what the target is. So obviously there are more sophisticated attacks that involve malware or phishing and things like that. But for those more sophisticated attacks, you tend to see it more on like the banking side or where the potential reward is... is Fairly significant, where the pay for for the effort basically makes sense. Yeah. I think with a lot of online merchants, what you tend to see is breach credential stuffing, just because it is so easy. Um, it's very very easy to run these automated scripts and use these breach credential lists, which you can get fairly easily, um, and then just attack logins and right. and kind of try your luck with them. And, and hackers, I mean, they're fundamentally
2: pretty lazy, right? They're gonna, yeah. they're going to do the easiest thing for the biggest bang for buck. And and yeah. You know, as a business, if you have one or two accounts being breached, depending on what your business is, that's probably not necessarily a huge operational problem for you. It might be, you know, it can be reputationally quite damaging, other things like this. But if you're having tens of thousands of accounts being breached, then that's, that's the problem. And that's, that's what bridge credentials, that's basically exclusively bridge credentials. You, you, you don't get, you know, these sort of targeted phishing attacks against tens of thousands of people. That's just, I mean, unless they got a lot of time on their hands, it's not really a feasible thing to do. Um, And uh, brute force attacks and things like that, those are also just less common because they just don't get as many hits and they're easier to protect against. So really, yeah, the main thing we see, I think, is...
1: Yeah, and I think with breaches being so common, it has just become, you know, all the breaches you hear about that drives it as well um, because the lists, there's just more and more of them out there um, and you can use them, yeah.
0: So, I mean, this might be a slightly naive question, but... How does a company know? How does a merchant know during their attack? Is it just the sheer velocity of logins that looks weird? Because or... I mean, one of the aspects of it is, of course, that it looks legitimate, right, too. A person has access to their account is now using their account. And that looks normal. So you know, how do companies tell that actually this activity is abnormal, that they're seeing stuff that they shouldn't be seeing? What's yeah. What are the telltale signs?
2: Yeah, so I think, I think you hit one of the things for sure. Um, just looking at login rates is huge. You'd um, be surprised how many com- companies aren't really you know, tracking login events very well. And and just looking at rates alone, just a simple graph of that, you can usually see something in there that might look like an attack. Um, if you have a bit more fine-grained, just looking at failed attempts. Because, yeah. you know, you look at a bridge credential list, most of those credentials aren't gonna work. Th- these lists aren't, typically, they're not necessarily targeted at the business that um, the attacker's attacking. They're just a generic list. So they're gonna throw in loads of usernames that your business has never seen before. Yeah. Um, it's just going to fail, 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 and then one out of you know a hundred thousand of these might finally have a hit for them. So just looking for loads of you know strange usernames coming in, login attempt failures, things like this um, is a good sign of this. Right, um,
0: mean, probably uh, at least a good question. Around, but what login information what other API information should merchants be collecting to tackle ATO?
1: Think at the most basic level, you really need to have. A pretty clear idea of the successful and unsuccessful login attempts and for that you need ip address and device id as well okay and um, because that lets you establish some basic patterns like jonah was saying around failed attempts especially uh, and that can be really informative in terms of an attack i think other information that people need to pay attention to as well is things like account changes so if a new device is detected at login or a, an email is updated and a delivery address is changed that kind of thing uh, as well as password resets and updates potentially um, I think that, that yeah. is at least a solid ground
2: to kind of think of the, the journey that these sort of hackers are going on right? the, the guy that's running the, the actual attack and hitting you know, hundreds of thousands if not millions of usernames what they really want is to just check the login endpoint, if that comes back successful they just put a check mark in there then they sell that on so when you want to collect at that level, um, at the login level, the IP address is so important because that's usually the biggest bit of information you can get right. um, as well as the device ID. But later on down the line when they sell it, some other schmo is gonna come in and they're gonna log into this account as well. And they might go in and change the delivery address and change all this other stuff. And so that's kind of another angle of it is to get it you know, when it's then being actively used, not just when it's being attacked. So okay. that's sort of the, the, the two sides of it. And, collecting as much information sort of at both of those angles is, is important
1: some in some attacks as well you will just see people sign in and then never come back again and for for a lot of those the the i the, the theory is that it's people scraping out personal information as well which you can then sell on to other fraudsters yeah. who might want to might want to commit identity fraud uh, so there, there's multiple ways of monetizing it which which can make it quite tricky to detect because People are doing it for different reasons, using different methods. Yeah.
2: Um, Or they get an attack, they find an account, it doesn't have a credit card attached to that account, so they don't care because you can't steal from someone who doesn't have any money attached to their account, so there's all sorts of different.
1: There's also an interaction between payment fraud and ATO with that because if they do log into an account and there's no card saved, they can also leverage the person's good reputation to use a stolen credit card Mm, and then make an order that way. So there's there's quite a lot of ways of making it profitable.
0: Okay. I mean, there's quite a lot of different strategies that you can, um, uh, that, sorry, that a merchant can implement. So being a ha- but how do you choose between them? How do you assess? Because in mean, big fear, every you know commercial organization is that they put in some strict rules around ATO and then close down a lot of good customers because, you know, it's hard to determine a good you know, what the impact of one will be. I mean, how do you do that? How do you, how do you assess these strategies?
1: I think whether you're trying to use rules or if you're trying to use a machine learning model, whatever you're doing, you need really clear labels of, of when you do have a, an account takeover attack. So when you do know, you need to be collecting that information as well. You need to be collecting, like here are all the customers who have had an account takeover because that helps you assess if you can build up a big enough database for that that does help you assess the things you put in place. To, yeah. to remedy it basically because you can analyze, well, how many of these people would have been stopped by X, Y, Z if we had that in place at the time and that kind of thing. So that definitely helps.
0: Okay. Um, I mean, is there, I mean, do we have sort of any evidence of a real change that's had a positive impact with uh, clients?
1: Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of areas where you can definitely see pretty quick results. I think the breach credential checks at login and when a user is resetting their password or creating an account to make sure that they're not setting passwords or using passwords that have been compromised, uh, that definitely helps. I think-
2: It's not even compromised passwords. Another quite easy area, probably even even easier to get than than breach credentials is just you can go online and find lists of like the 100 most common passwords. And you can just disallow those. Just, you know, the people who put in, you know, QWERTY as their password, Just you can just disallow those. And there's, there's loads of them, there's like a hundred that you can just say, you know, just, just, if they try to set that password, just block them from doing it. The, the one thing I'd shy away from, which is something that is really common but doesn't actually work very well, is the idea of doing these sort of password rules where you say, like, oh, oh you need a capital letter and a symbol and a number yeah. here and all this. I think it's really common because it's very easy to implement, but at the end of the day, you know, if someone's using a breach credential list, it doesn't matter how complicated the password is, they have the password, so it doesn't really protect against that. Um, I think Microsoft recently had a really good blog post about that, about their account takeover experience and how 99% of it, those sorts of rules won't cover it all. Yeah. So it's, it's not really that useful and it does annoy users, so it's, it's, that's one way to shy away from
0: makes it hard for humans, easier, you know, more difficult for computers. I don't care.
1: I think having rules and rate limits as well, sensible ones around key things like device ID, IP, customer ID, that kind of thing is also really important. And obviously if you have the resources then it's appropriate for your data, machine learning as well can be really useful. Uh, But it just kind of depends what's appropriate for your business given the data and the problem that you have.
0: But it leads to an interesting uh challenge in ATO and, and you speak to any merchant, this is the, the I don't know maybe the second or third thing to say about ATO is like what do we tell our customers, right? Is this uh concern around what best way to communicate to someone whose account has been breached and, you know, I guess whose fault it is that it was breached and you know who's who's responsible for the uh, uh for whatever might have happened. I mean what, what advice are we giving to, to merchants or what, you know, what are we hearing as so I mean, it, it,
1: it is definitely really tricky for merchants because obviously most of the breaches, they're not, the, the, the lists that get used in these attacks are not necessarily from the merchant who gets attacked. In fact, most of the time they won't be. So it's, it's the breach that's driven it is not necessarily their fault. And the fact that the customer has used the same ID, the same password in multiple places is also not their fault. But at the end of the day, someone has still gotten access to one of their customer accounts and then merchants do need to make sure that they have things in place to, to stop that from happening. I think more and more the tendency is, is to is to be transparent and clear in communication. So I know sometimes people are a bit uncomfortable about, you know, explaining that either a password has appeared in a breach or whatever, because you can people and customers can misinterpret that as as, as in you your company was responsible for a breach. And obviously yeah. that's that's not the case. So I think one thing that's really important is just very, very clear copy. And that, that can definitely take a fair amount of work and being transparent about it. I think more and more people are used to and expect companies to protect their accounts. So you get used to these notifications, you know, for example, from Google, when, when you log in with a new device, you'll get a notification, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think more and more people expect companies to, to put effort into that kind of thing and to communicate that. So I think people are definitely moving more towards that, I would say. Um,
0: yeah, I find I find a sort of newspaper reporting around this really unhelpful as well. I mean, it's always kind of yeah. Xco has been hacked because they haven't been hacked, because someone's just accessed one of these cabs. But it's very, very difficult for the consumer to, the same to. know where like
2: where responsibility lies often, and from the consumer perspective, it doesn't. That doesn't. It almost doesn't matter. Like they're still getting screwed over in some 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 way. Yeah. So I actually, I know from a personal level, and I think I think this is starting to be. More and more common. I mean, as Katrina said, you get these emails all the time from Google, Netflix, Twitter, everything. As soon as you log in, you go on vacation, log in somewhere else, Think, oh, you're logging in from a weird place. And I actually look at that as something that sort of tells me, oh, these guys are on top of it. Yeah. Like, I don't look at that as a bad thing. I don't look at that as, oh, oh, no, I'm being attacked or something, and this company's, you know, not doing their job. I look at that as, oh, actually, these guys are paying attention. I can feel safe with them and mm-hmm. protected with them. Um, you know, if you get the copy right and you're you're on top of this, I think it actually, as opposed to being something that can scare a consumer, can actually actually reassure them in a strange
1: way. For sure, it's definitely always better to be proactive with that kind of thing.
0: Um, I, I guess the, the, the sort of uh, at the end of the journey as well is so how do we, how do we resecure a accounts? So a user's accounts can's compromised for whatever reason. Someone's done something in that account. Uh, that's, as far as the systems are concerned, a bad account, but it's not a bad person who owns that account, if that makes sense. Right? So uh, how do you go about making that account good again? And how do you actually trust the fact that it is good again uh, when it's been through an ATO um, experience?
1: So I think we've generally taken kind of password reset as being a critical part of that and making sure that the password reset is with the legitimate user. Yeah. Uh, so making sure that, you know, if, if an email was changed as part of the attack, you don't send it to the, the newest email. That right. was involved in the incident you send it to the the previous email uh, but i think that's really really important because until the password has been reset then the account is not secured and it's important as part of that reset that the customer is forced to reset it to something new because i think a, a lot of the time there's no checks on the new password so yeah. people can just use the same password that had resulted in the breach anyway uh, so it's really important that it's it's not the same password.
2: Yeah, we work with some clients that just outright delete the account, and that's that does work, although for the user perspective, it can be terrible because they'll lose their order history or, you know, all that kind of stuff, but, you know, if you don't have that facility, it's probably better to do that than, right. than to Right, but do the user can re-open, reopen another account. You know, so. OZ, yeah, the account, exactly, okay. um, and it, but, but again, I think, and as Katrina said, the, the really important thing here is that uh, an account takeover person might go in and change their email to their own email or change the password or change the phone number. And if you very naively say, reset this password, you might have sent the email to the guy that just took it over, Right. in which case you recovered nothing because they just go in and set their own password and then it's uh, you've done nothing there at all. So that, that's that's a vital element. If, if you're not currently tracking the history of both passwords and emails, you should probably be doing that. Um, and phone numbers and basically anything to do with the customer you should be tracking a history
1: of. Yeah, any changes that a customer can make, basically you should you should be tracking that change history because that's also can inform things then like if you want to notify users of changes, for example, if I change the email and you want to send a notification to the email or I change the phone number or anything like that or I log on with a new device, it, it is really important that you have that information, A, just because you'll need it right. for cases like this and B, also to, to notify the, the user.
2: Okay, no, the, the other side of this, once you have resecured the account, if you do have things in place that sort of block, that that caught this, that block these things in real time, you also have to remember to reset that because you might resecure the account, then you might block it right away again because the recent activity on it was an account takeover. Yeah. So you have to make sure to to have facilities in place to sort of reset accounts to make sure everything they look they look safe again. Um, if you have any kind of network detection stuff, you have to kind of untwine them from this sort of thing, and uh, yeah, it can it can be annoying because someone who looks like a villain isn't really a villain, and if your system is set up to detect these people, um, it can be hard to make them look
0: good again. <laughs> um, is there anything we haven't spoken about that would be useful tips for people trying to tackle ATO?
1: Um, I guess another thing that that is useful is if you suspect an account has been breached, but you're not 100% sure and you just kind of, you want to do something that adds a bit of friction, you you can also remove any uh, customer card details that are saved in the account. So if you're worried about that, you can strip that out if you think an account has been compromised, but aren't too sure if you want to delete or block the account or, or reset it or anything like that just as an extra bit of friction because then obviously it's, it's not the worst thing for the user. They can still log into their account and read the details, but it just means that if you have that concern, it, it's kind of, yeah, an extra challenge basically. And you can, depending on your risk appetite, you can also introduce something like two FA right? Uh, two factor. Yeah. Two factor authentication. Two-factor authentication two-factor sort of that. Problem. Yeah.
2: Like more or less, if you put on, if you put two factor on an account, um, it makes it significantly more challenging for a breach credential database becomes essentially useless. Um, the only way you're getting attacked there is through phishing and depending on the style of two factor you have, that can be also incredibly challenging. Um, obviously it puts way more friction on the user, but um, yeah. if you are in a position, you know, if it's a B2B style thing or something like this, where you can put more friction on the user and the is worth it, two factor is definitely an excellent option to go with.
0: Okay. And so, a lot of people listening to this are probably thinking it sounds like a lot of work. Uh, <laughs> and we did mention at the top of the podcast that this product, rather than uh, protected, we're launching. Um, I mean, will that cover most of the things to be spoken about? Um,
1: yes. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah,
2: we're, we're essentially discussing what we've built. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we built. Yeah. We can't do. Um, we, we can't actually do everything. So, for example, yep. we don't. We um, can't write the emails. We, we don't write <laughs> the emails, we don't send, send the copy because that, yep. that's kind of the responsibility of the client. We don't, we don't want to interfere with their voice and their, their sort of, of stuff there and their design. Uh, the other side of it is um, certain things with the password. So, we, we have a breach credential list, but how that works is you'll, you, you'll send us a, a hash of the password, not the actual password, and we never store the password. So you send that to us. We check it against our list of breached passwords, and then we throw it away. So yeah. things like have has a user used this password before? We can't track because right. we don't. From, from a security perspective, we don't want to store our clients' passwords because that's that sounds like an insane thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that that side of it is something that um, we don't fully cover, but uh, uh, is surely something you should do on on, on the, you know your side of it. Cool. Uh, but pretty much everything else, yeah, we. Um, yeah. All right.
0: We got covered. Um, well, listen, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. It was really useful.